Act Three, Part One of the Show Off by George Kelly. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Third Act. Act Three, Part One. Scene. Same as preceding act, but following Monday, about four o'clock in the afternoon. Mrs. Fisher is seated at the right of the center table, in black, watching Mr. Rogers, the insurance agent, opposite her, writing on various papers. Clara, also in mourning, is standing back of her mother's chair, watching Mr. Rogers. Mr. Rogers, handing Mrs. Fisher an insurance receipt. Now, will you just sign that, Mrs. Fisher? Right on that line there. He hands her his fountain pen. Mrs. Fisher, after a sincere attempt to write with the fountain pen. It won't write. Press on it a bit, Mom. I am pressing on it. Just let me have it for a second, Mrs. Fisher. She hands him the pen. I never saw one of them fountain pens yet that'd write. Mr. Rogers, holding the pen out and shaking it, in an attempt to force the ink forward. They cut up a little once in a while. Mrs. Fisher looks keenly to see if her carpet is being stained. I gave one to my son the Christmas before last, and it's been in that drawer there from that day to this. Mr. Rogers, handing her the pen again. There we are. I think you'll find it all right. Right here? That's right. He commences to collect his papers. Mrs. Fisher, writing. It's rotten now, all right. It's usually pretty satisfactory. She hands him the receipt, and he hands her another. And that one also, Mrs. Fisher, if you please. In the same place? Yes, right on the dotted line. It's just a duplicate. She looks at him sharply, then signs it and hands it back to him, and he puts it into his wallet. Mrs. Fisher looks distrustfully at the point of the fountain pen. Here's the pan. Thank you. He signs a check and looks at it. Mrs. Fisher, half turning towards the cellar door. See if that cellar door is closed, Clara. I feel a draft from somewhere. Clara goes and sees that the door is closed. Mr. Rogers, handing a check. There you are, Mrs. Fisher. One thousand dollars. Thank you. Clara comes forward again. Mr. Rogers, collecting his things. That's money we like to pay, Mrs. Fisher, and money we don't like to pay. No, things are never very pleasant when this kind of money is being paid. Mr. Rogers, rising and putting his wallet into his inside pocket. Well, at least it doesn't make things any less pleasant, Mrs. Fisher. Mrs. Fisher, rising. No, I'm sure I don't know what a lot of folks would do without it. Pretty hard to make a good many people see it that way, Mrs. Fisher. Mrs. Fisher, moving around to a point above the table. Yes, I guess we don't think much about trouble when we're not having it. A lot of people think they're never going to have trouble. Mrs. Fisher shakes her head knowingly. And never going to need a dollar. They're very foolish. Very foolish indeed. Everybody'll have trouble if they live long enough. Yes, indeed. 
Well, now, what do I do with this check, Mr. Rogers? Why, you can deposit it if you like, Mrs. Fisher, or have it cashed. Just whatever you like. Frank will get it cashed for you, Mom, downtown. I'm not used to thousand-dollar checks, you know, Mr. Rogers. I'm not very used to them myself, Mrs. Fisher, except to pay them out to somebody else. <laughs> well, will you take this then, Clara, and give it to Frank Highland? Clara, advancing. Yes, I'll give it to him tonight, Mom. Mr. Rogers moves to the window at the left and takes a paper from his pocket. Don't go laying it down somewhere now and forgetting where you left it, the way you're always doing with your gloves. Clara, crossing to the buffet where her purse is lying. I'll put it in my purse here. Mrs. Fisher comes forward at the right of the Morris chair. Mr. Rogers, turning and coming back a little from the window. Oh, by the way, Mrs. Fisher, would you give this to your son-in-law, Mr. Piper? He hands her the paper. What is it? Why, it's a little explanation of some of the features of the very attractive accident policy that our company has brought out recently, and I was talking to Mr. Piper about it the day I called for Mr. Fisher's policy. He seemed to be very much interested. In fact, I find that people are usually a little more susceptible to the advantages of a good insurance policy when they actually see it being paid to somebody else. Now, that particular policy there is a kind of combination of accident and life insurance policy as well as disability and dividend features. In fact, we contend that there is no investment on the market today. Clara sits down in the armchair at the right window. That offers the security or return that that particular policy described there does. The thing is really almost benevolent. How much is it for? Why, we have them as low as $10,000. But the policy that Mr. Piper was most interested in was one of our $50,000 policies. Clara laughs faintly, and her mother looks over at her. Mrs. Fisher, turning back to Mr. Rogers. It's no wonder she's laughing, Mr. Rogers, for if you knew Mr. Piper as well as she knows him, you'd laugh too. He has just about as much notion of taking out a $50,000 insurance policy as I have and just about as much chance of paying for it. Why, he seemed very much interested, Mrs. Fisher. He was showing off, Mr. Rogers, what he's always doing. Why, that fellow don't make enough salary in six months to pay one year's premium on a policy like this. So if I was you, I'd just put this paper right back in my pocket, for you're only wasting it to be giving it to him. Mr. Rogers, taking the paper. Seems rather funny that he'd talk about it at all. I mean, if he had no idea of taking it. He never has any idea when he talks, Mr. Rogers. That's the reason he talks so much. It's no effort. That's the reason he's getting $32 a week down here in the Pennsylvania freight office. And it's a wonder to me they give him that much after listening to him for five minutes. It's particularly funny because I spoke to Mr. Piper first about one of our $10,000 policies, but he didn't seem to be interested in anything but our $50,000 life and accident policy. 
well i can understand him being interested in the accident part of it after last monday i suppose you heard about him running into everything here last monday evening didn't you down here at broad and erie avenue oh that was mr piper that was him he ran into a traffic cop and broke his arm yes i saw that in the paper but the name was spelled pepper in my paper well it was spelled piper in our paper well what did they do about that mrs fisher why he's down there to-day at the magistrates getting his hearing god knows what they'll do with him for he didn't own the car he was driving and didn't have a license to drive it well that's very unfortunate but he'll very likely tire the magistrate out so with his talk that the man'll discharge him just to get rid of him <laughs> i am afraid mr piper won't want to see me to-day when he comes back he may not be back for six months mr rogers starting for the hall door oh well <laughs> let's hope it won't be anything like that good afternoon mrs highland clara rising good afternoon mr rogers he goes out into the hallway good afternoon mrs fisher good afternoon mr rogers calling after him from the hall door will you close that vestibule door tight after you mr rogers yes i will mrs fisher this hallway gets awful cold when that vestibule door isn't shut tight a door closes in the hallway then another door and then mrs fisher turns removing her glasses and moves towards the mantelpiece i'm glad you were here i don't understand them insurance papers she puts her glasses on the mantelpiece clara moving to the chair at the right of the center table what do you think you'll do with that money mom why i think i'll just put it into a bank somewhere everything is paid and then i'll have something in my old days she comes forward to the chair at the left of the center table do you want me to put the check right into the bank no i want to see the money first she sits down but can you imagine that clown clara taking up that man's time talking about a fifty thousand dollar policy and him in debt to his eyes clara sitting down what does it matter mom you can never change a man like piper no but i hate to see him making such a fool of amy and of all of us with his name in all the papers and the whole city laughing at him doesn't mind that he likes it but amy's married to him clara that's the trouble amy doesn't mind it either mom as long as it's aubrey well she ought to mind it if she's got any pride clara looking straight ahead wistfully she's in love with him mom she doesn't see him through the same eyes that other people do you're always talking about love you give me a pain well don't you think she is how do i know whether she is or not i don't know anything about when people are in love except that they act silly most everybody that i ever knew that was i'm sure she acted silly enough when she took him she might have taken worse mom 
Mrs. Fisher looks at her, and Clara meets the look. He does his best. He works every day, and he gives her his money, and nobody ever heard of him looking at another woman. But he's such a rattle-brain, Clara. Oh, there are lots of things that are harder to put up with in a man than that, Mom. I know he's terribly silly and has too much to say and all that, but I don't know. I feel kind of sorry for him sometimes. He'd so love to be important, and of course he never will be. Well, I swear I don't know how Amy stands the everlasting talk of him. He's been here now only a week, and I'm telling you, Clara, I'm nearly light-headed. I'll be glad when they go. I'd rather have a man that talked too much than one of those silent ones. Honestly, Mom, I think sometimes if Frey Kylan doesn't say something, I'll go out of my mind. What do you want him to say? Anything, just so I'd know he had a voice. He's too sensible a man, Clara, to be talking when he has nothing to say. I don't think it's so sensible, Mom, never to have anything to say. Well, lots of men are that way in the house. But there are usually children there. It isn't so bad. Well, if Amy ever has any children, and they have as much to say as their father, I don't know what'll become of her. She'll get along some way. People always do. Leaning on somebody else. That's how they get along. There are always the leaners and the bearers, Mom. But if she's in love with the man she's married to, and he's in love with her, and there are children... I never saw a married woman so full of love. I suppose that's because I never had any of it, Mom. Her mother looks over at her. Don't your man love you? Clara looks straight out, shaking her head slowly. He loved someone else before he met me. How do you know? The way he talks sometimes. Why didn't he marry her? I think he lost her. I remember he said to me one time, Always be kind, Clara, to anybody that loves you. For, he said, a person always loses what he doesn't appreciate. And, he said, it's a terrible thing to lose love. He said, you never realize what it was worth until you've lost it. I think that's the reason he gives Piper a hand once in a while. Because he sees Amy's in love with him and he wants to make it easy for her. Because then I have an idea he made it pretty hard for the woman that loved him. Mrs. Fisher leans back and rocks slowly. Well, a body can't have everything in the world, Clara. There is a pause, and Clara touches her handkerchief to her eyes. Then the front door closes softly, and Mrs. Fisher gets up. Maybe this is them now. She moves up to the hall door. Amy comes in looking worried. She is in mourning. What happened, Amy? Amy wanders down to the chair at the left of table and sits down and her mother follows her down at the left. Where's Aubrey Piper? He's coming. Is Frank with him? Yes. Where are they? Aubrey stopped at the corner to get some cigars. What happened down there? Oh, a lot of talk. Mrs. Fisher, leaning towards her solicitously. Are you sick? No. Well, you look sick. I have a headache. We had to wait there so long. Why don't you take off your hat? Amy starts to remove her hat. Will I make you a cup of tea? No, don't bother, Mom. I can get it myself. Mrs. Fisher, going towards the right door. It won't take a minute. Amy takes her handkerchief from her bag. Clara glances toward the right door. Clara, 
in a subdued tone. What did they do to Aubrey? Amy, confidentially. Find him. A thousand dollars. Don't let Mom know. Recklessness and driving without a license. Did Frank pay it? Yes. I told him I'd be responsible for it. How can you ever pay him a thousand dollars, Amy? I can go back to work for a while. I can always go back to the office. Clara moves. Well, it was either that or six months in jail. And Frank said we couldn't have that. Wasn't there anybody that we know? I didn't see anybody. Was the traffic cop there? Yes, there were fourteen witnesses. The traffic cop's arm was broken. The fellow that owned the car was there, too. When do you think you'll go back to work? Amy, after a troubled pause. As soon as I get settled. There's no use in my going back now. I'd only have to be leaving again pretty soon. Clara looks at her. Does Mom know? No, I haven't told her. There's a pause. Clara gets up and, with a glance toward the kitchen door, moves around and crosses towards the left, above the center table. She stops back of Amy's chair and looks at her for a second, compassionately. Then she steps forward and lays her hand on her shoulder. Don't worry about it, Amy. She moves towards the window at the left. I wish to God it was me. There's a murmur of voices at the front door. Then Aubrey's laugh rings through the house. Amy rises quickly, picks up her hat from the table, and signifies to Clara, with a gesture, that she will go into the parlor. Clara moves across in front of the center table. Aubrey, entering, all dressed up, and with a little flourish of his cane to Clara. Hello, Clara. Hello. Aubrey, hanging up his hat and cane on the hooks at the head of the cellar stairs. Where's Amy? She's just gone in the parlor there. Frank Highland appears in the hall door and comes forward to the chair at the left of the table. Hello. Aubrey crosses to the parlor, removing his gloves. You in there, Amy? Yes. He goes into the parlor, and Clara moves across above the center table to Highland's left. How is it you didn't go back to the office, Frank? Aubrey hurries out of the parlor again and across to the hooks, removing his overcoat. Mrs. Fisher appears in the kitchen door and stands looking at him. It was so late when we got through down there, I didn't think it was worthwhile. Hello, Mother. I see you're back again. He hangs up his overcoat. Right on the job, Mother. Doing business at the old stand. He takes the carnation from the overcoat and fastens it in the sack coat. Mrs. Fisher comes forward at the right. Hello, Mother. Hello, Frank. You're looking good, Mother. Well, I'm not feeling good, Frank. I can tell you that. What's the trouble? Why, I'm troubled to think of all the bother you've been put to in this business. Don't worry about that, Mother. We've got to have a little bother once in a while. What did they do down there today, Frank? Why, they... Aubrey, coming forward, adjusting the carnation. I'll tell you what they tried to do. Oh, shut up, you. Nobody wants to hear what you've got to say about it at all. Clara crosses above the Moorish chair and looks out the window at the left. 
Well, I told them down there what I had to say about it, whether they wanted to hear it or not. He goes up to the mirror at the back. I guess they let you go just to get rid of you. He turns to his left and looks at her, then starts for the parlor doors. Why don't you take your coat off, Frank? Aubrey goes into the parlor, looking back over his shoulder at his mother-in-law, who has not taken her eyes off him. Highland looking at his watch. I've got to meet that fellow at North Philadelphia Station at four o'clock. Mrs. Fisher, coming a step or two nearer to the table. What did they say to that fellow down there today, Frank? Well, nothing very much, Mother. Just a little reprimand for driving without a license. Didn't they find him at all for breaking that man's arm? Oh, a little bit. Not very much. You see, that was more or less in the nature of an accident. How much was it? Now, Mrs. Fisher, as Aubrey says, it's all washed up and signed on the dotted line. <laughs> How much was it, Clara? Do you know? He hasn't told me, Mom. Well, I'll bet you paid it, Frank, whatever it was, for I know he didn't have it. She sits at the right of the table. Highland, rising. Well, you know, it's getting near Christmas, Mother. Got to give some kind of a little present here and there. Well, I don't think it's right that you should have to be going around paying for that fellow's mistakes. Highland, standing up a bit toward the hall door, putting on his gloves. That's about all any of us is doing in this world, Mother, paying for somebody's mistakes. And somebody paying for ours, I suppose. Well, it don't seem right to me. Well, I'll tell you, Mother, when you've made a couple of mistakes that can't be paid for, why then you try to forget about them by paying for the kind that can. <laughs> he makes a little pallid sound of amusement, and there is a pause. Mrs. Fisher rocks back and forth. Will you be home for dinner tonight, Frank? Island, coming suddenly out of an abstraction. Uh, what did you say? I say, will you be home for dinner tonight? Highland, picking up his hat from the table. I don't think so. I'll very likely have to go to dinner with him. He goes towards the hall door. Goodbye, Mother. Goodbye, Frank. Highland, going out into the hallway. Goodbye, dear. Clara wanders up to the hall door and looks out after him. Goodbye. The vestibule door is heard to close, and there's a significant pause, during which Clara stands looking wistfully out into the hallway. Mrs. Fisher, rising and moving to a point above the table. Listen, Clara. Clara comes towards her. What? Didn't he tell you how much they find Aubrey? No, he didn't, Mom, really. Didn't she tell you while I was out putting the tea on? Clara, moving forward to the chair at the left of the table. <laughs> well, now, what does it matter, Mom? You won't have to pay it. She sits down. Well, I'll find out. It'll very likely be in the evening paper. Well, I wouldn't say anything to Amy about it, even if it is. She has enough to bother her now. 
well she brought it on herself if she has nobody could tell her anything well there's nothing can be done by fighting with her mom mrs fisher with conviction there's nothing that can be done by anything clara when once the main thing is done and that's the marriage that's where all the trouble starts getting married if there were no marriages mom there'd be no world mrs fisher moving around to the chair at the right of the table again oh everybody says that if there were no marriages there'd be no world well would there well what if there wouldn't she sits down do you think it'd be any worse than it is now i think there'll be no world pretty soon anyway the way things are going a lot of whiffets getting married and not two cents to their names and then throwing themselves on their people to keep them they're so full of love before they're married you're about the only one i've heard talking about love after they were married it's a wonder to me you have a roof over you for they never have with that kind of talk like the two in the parlor there that has to kiss each other every time they meet on the floor she bristles for a second or two and then there is a silence clara quietly amy's going to have a child mom her mother looks at her how do you know she told me so mrs fisher softening a bit why didn't she tell me i suppose she thought it'd start a fight mrs fisher indignant again i don't know why it'd start a fight i never fight with anybody except him and i wouldn't fight with him only for his impudence has amy said anything to you about coming here to live she said something to me the night your father was laid out but i wasn't paying much attention to her i think you ought to let her come in here mom her mother looks at her she'd be company for you now that pop is gone and you don't know what day joe might take a notion to get married what's changed your idea so much about letting her come in here you were very much against it when she was married i'd be against it now if things around here were the way they were then you didn't even own this house mom when amy was married it was pops and i knew if anything ever happened to him and there was no will you might not find it so easy to order anybody out of it it isn't that i'd mind letting amy come in here clara but i wouldn't like to please him for i know the first thing i'd know he'd very likely be telling somebody that he'd let me come in clara smiles faintly oh i wouldn't put it past him he's told bigger lies than that and if i ever found out that he'd said that he'd go out of here inside of five minutes bag and baggage the front door bell rings see who that is clara they rise and clara goes out into the hallway and mrs fisher crosses below the table to the parlor doors are you in there amy she opens the door yes what is it mom this kettle's boiling out here if you want a cup of tea all right mom i'll be right out mrs fisher crossing to the kitchen door i'm going to make it right away so you'd better come out if you want it hot she goes out at the right 
Amy, coming out of the parlor. Do you want a cup of tea, Aubrey? She crosses the mirror over the mantelpiece and touches her hair. Aubrey, coming out of the parlor. No, thanks, honey. I don't care for any just now. He strolls to the hall door, glances out, then moves to Amy's side and puts his hands on her shoulders and kisses her affectionately. Then he pats her on the shoulder. She moves towards the kitchen door. Aubrey, patting her hand. Everything will be all right, kid. You know me. She goes out into the kitchen, and he settles himself at the mirror over the buffet at the right. Clara in the hallway. Yes, I think it is myself. Appearing in the hall door. Just come right in. I'll call my mother. Is she out in the kitchen, Aubrey? Aubrey, turning. Yes, she's getting some tea. Gail appears in the hall door. Well, you needn't bother, ma'am, if she's busy. I, I just want her to leave this watch. How do you do? How do you do? Clara stops and looks back at the watch. And how is the young man? I can't complain. Is that my father's watch? Yes, ma'am. Are you Mr. Fisher's daughter? Yes. Close that door, Aubrey, will you? I don't want Mom to see it. To Gil. I'd rather my mother wouldn't see it. She takes the watch, and Aubrey closes the kitchen door. That's right. I believe she gave him this watch when they were married. Aubrey comes forward again at the right. Yes, it'd make her feel bad. Thanks ever so much. McMahon didn't notice it when he was getting the rest of Mr. Fitcher's things together. I see. He said it was hanging under the time chart back in number five. This is the gentleman that brought Pop's lunchbox home. Why was that so? Well, I stopped by the day Mr. Fisher died. Did you work with my father? No, ma'am, I'm a twister, but I live out this way. How is it you're not working today, Governor? Mondays and Tuesdays is my earlies as a rule. I see. But the hunkies don't always get the stuff up to us. You got to keep right after them. Well, I guess I'll be getting along. He starts for the parlor doors, then remembers that that is not the way out, and turns to his left towards the hall door. I'm ever so much obliged to you for bringing this watch up. Gil, turning to her at the hall door. Oh, that's all right. I'm only sorry for the reason I have to do it. Yes, it was very sad. Mr. Fisher was a hard-working man. I suppose he worked too hard for his age. Yes, I guess he did. You couldn't stop him, though. No, that's what your brother-in-law here was saying the day I was here. He was telling me about all the times he tried to get him to quit and take a rest. Aubrey turns to the buffet mirror. But I guess when a man's worked as hard all his life as Mr. Fisher did, it ain't so easy for him to quit. No, I guess not. Gil, stepping a little forward again. I didn't know that was you, Mr. Piper. That was in the automobile smash-up that I was telling you about the day I was here. Aubrey, turning. That's so? 
I didn't know it till I saw your picture in the paper the next day. What paper did you see it in? I saw it in the record. Wasn't a very good picture of me, was it? I knew it was you, though, the minute I saw it. A friend of mine loaned me his car while mine was laid up, and something went wrong with the steering gear. How did you make out about that traffic cop? Oh, I squared that up all right. Where do you live up here, Mr. Uh... I live out Richmond Way. I'd like to get a house over this way more, on account of being a little nearer my work, but I don't see much chance. No, I don't know of any vacant houses around here right now. No, your brother-in-law was telling me about the time he had getting hold of this one. Aubrey turns to the buffet mirror again and smooths his toupee with considerable precision. Well, I'll be getting along. He starts out into the hallway. Clara, with a bitter look over her shoulder at Aubrey, and following Gail out into the hallway. Well, thanks ever so much, Mr. Uh... She puts the watch back of the statuette on the little stand at the left of the mantelpiece. Don't mention it. I'm sure Mother will be glad to have this watch. Aubrey turns and looks after them. Then, with a glance toward the kitchen door, he moves carefully to the mantelpiece and tries to see what is going on at the front door. Yes, she might as well have it as one of them hunkies down there. Can you open it? Yes, I got it. Goodbye. Goodbye, and thank you. You're welcome. The front door closes, and Aubrey glides hastily for the parlor doors in an attempt to avoid Clara. But just as he reaches the parlor doors, she appears in the hall door, and with a quick glance toward the kitchen door, comes forward to the back of the Morris chair. Come here, Aubrey. I want to talk to you. He turns towards her with an attempt at nonchalance. What do you mean by telling people that this is your house? I didn't tell anybody it was my house. You must have told this man or he wouldn't have said so. What do you think I am, a liar? Yes, I do. One of the best I know. Well, ask Amy what I said to him. She was here when I was talking to him. Clara, before he has finished speaking. I don't have to ask anybody anything. You were lying to him here today right in front of me. Aubrey, with a shade of challenge in his manner. What'd I say? That you'd fixed the automobile thing up. It's all fixed up, isn't it? You didn't fix it. There's a slight pause, during which Aubrey, his dignity considerably outraged, moves forward and crosses in front of her to the front of the center table, where he stops. Clara moves down at the right of the Morris chair, to a point near him. You'd have gone to jail for six months only for Frank Highland, and telling this man that you tried to persuade Pop to stop working. Aubrey, over his left shoulder. So I did. When? I didn't say it to him. But I told Amy he ought to stop, and I think he'd be here right today if he had taken my advice. He wouldn't be right here today if he'd stopped expecting you to keep him. He moves further over to the right, and she follows him. And now listen to me, Aubrey. I want to talk seriously to you. You've made a lot of trouble for us since you've been in this family, and I want you to stop it. There's no reason my husband, because he happens to have a few dollars, should be going around paying your bills. What do you want me to do? 
Aubrey, half turning to her. I want you to stop telling lies, for that's about all everything you do amounts to. Trying to make people believe you're something that you're not, when if you just stop your talking and you're showing off, you might be the thing that you're trying to make them believe you are. She glances toward the kitchen door and then speaks to him again in a slightly lower tone. Your wife's going to have a child one of these days, Aubrey, and if you want to pull yourself together and try to be sensible, like the man of a family should be. You're smart enough. There's no reason why a fellow like you should be living in two rooms over the barber shop. I should think you'd have more respect for your wife. She turns and moves a few steps up towards the kitchen door. Man doesn't stand much chance of getting ahead, Clara, when the boss has got a grudge against him. Clara, turning sharply to her right and moving to the upper right-hand corner of the center table. Well, stop your silly talk and get rid of that carnation and the boss might get rid of his grudge. She glances toward the kitchen door, leans across the table towards him, and lowers her voice. But what I wanted to tell you was this, Aubrey. I've asked Mom to let you and Amy come in here, and she says she wouldn't mind it, only that she knows the first thing she'd hear is that you'd told someone that you'd taken her in. And you see, that's exactly what you've done already. To this man that brought the watch, if I told Mom there'd be a war. Are you going to tell her? Clara, with authoritative levelness. I'm going to put that up to you. And the very first time I hear that you've told anybody that this is your house, I'll see to it that you get a house that will be your own. Aubrey smiles, a bit smugly, and looks at her out the sides of his eyes. I guess your mother'd have something to say about that, Clara. Clara, with a measured evenness. Well, the only thing that needs to worry you is what I'll have to say about it. Aubrey's smugness begins to fade into a questioning narrowness. This is my house. Pop left it to me so that Mom would always have a roof over to her, for he knew how long she'd have it if Amy ever got round her. And if Amy ever got a hold of it, he knew what she'd do if it ever came to a choice between you and Mom. What are you doing? Kidding me? Clara holds his eyes steadily for a fraction of a second. I'm giving you a tip. See that you keep to yourself. Aubrey withdraws his eyes slowly and looks straight out, weighing this new bit of intelligence carefully in his mind. Be wise now, Aubrey. You've got a chance to sit in here and live like a human being, and if you throw it away, you'll have nobody to blame but yourself. There's a sound at the front door of a newspaper being thrown into the vestibule, and a man's voice says, Paper. Then the front door is heard to close. Open that door there. Mom will be wondering what it's doing shut. She crosses up to the hall door and goes out for the newspaper. Aubrey stands for a second thinking, and then Amy opens the kitchen door and comes in. She glances about the room. Where's Clara, Aubrey? I think she's out on the front porch. Amy glances toward the hall door and then turns to her husband. How are you feeling? All right. I just had some tea. Listen, Aubrey. She takes hold of the lapels of his coat. Mom said we could come in here to live. Yes, I got Clara to fix it up. She said we could have my room. Is it a front room? No, it's that one at the head of the stairs. Will we put that bureau of ours in there? I think the one that's in there is better looking. Let's go up and see. She starts up towards the hall door, Aubrey following her. You look nice in black, Amy. Amy, glancing in the mantelpiece mirror as she passes it. This is the dress that Clara gave me. 
Clara appears in the hall door with the evening paper in her hand. It's the paper here about that trial today. Amy takes the paper. Keep it out of sight and don't let Mom see it. Amy, going out the hall door and to her left up the stairs. I'll take it upstairs. Clara moves down towards the center table, and Aubrey crosses above her towards the hall door. As he passes her, he excludes her with a look. Aubrey, calling after Amy as she starts up the stairs. Has it got my picture in it? Clara looks after him, rather hopelessly. Mrs. Fisher comes in from the kitchen and moves down to the buffet at the right for her knitting bag. You going to stay here for supper tonight, Clara? Yes, I might as well, Mom. Frank won't be home. I think I'll run in next door and tell Bertha I won't be home. She starts towards the kitchen door. Mrs. Fisher, crossing up to the mantelpiece for her spectacles. Yes, you'd better. She'll be expecting you. Put something around you. Clara, stopping at the hooks at the head of the cellar stairs. Is there something here? Put that old raincoat of Joe's around you. It's good enough. She moves forward to the chair at the right of the center table. And go to the side door, Clara, and don't be bringing in Mrs. Harbison to the front. She sits down and puts on her spectacles, and Clara shakes the old raincoat out and puts it around her shoulders. I told Amy she could have that side room upstairs. She might as well be using it, Mom. But I know I'm not going to hit it with him. Well, it's better to be fighting than lonesome, Mom. She goes out at the right, and Mrs. Fisher takes a purple sweater that she's working on out of the knitting bag. A door out at the right closes after Clara. Mrs. Fisher commences to knit, when suddenly there's a shout of laughter from Aubrey upstairs. Mrs. Fisher freezes instantly into a stony stillness and listens narrowly. There's another gale of laughter from Aubrey and this decides Mrs. Fisher. She puts her knitting back into the bag, very definitely, puts the bag on the table, gets up, and marches resolutely across in front of the table and up to the hall door. Just as she reaches the hall door, with the ostensible purpose of reminding Aubrey that this is not his house, there is another roar from him. Amy can be heard laughing this time also. Mrs. Fisher subsides and thinks. She appears to suddenly realize the futility of all remonstrances against the irresponsibility of Aubrey, and after a thoughtful pause, to accept the situation. And as she moves back across the room, in front of the mantelpiece, to resume her chair at the right of the table, she seems a little older. Just as she reaches a point above the center table, the front door closes with a bang. She starts nervously and steps back to the mantelpiece to peer out into the hallway. Is that you, Joe? Joe, from the hallway. Yes. Mrs. Fisher, continuing to her chair at the right of the table. It's a wonder you wouldn't take the door off the hinges and be done with it. Joe hurries in from the hallway. How did they make out down there today, Mom? He tosses the evening paper onto the center table and continues on over and up to the hooks at the head of the cellar stairs to hang up his hat and overcoat. Mrs. Fisher, sitting down. Who do you mean? Aubrey Piper? Yes. Are they back yet? They're upstairs. What did they do to him? 
they find him. How much? Mrs. Fisher, taking her knitting out of the bag. I don't know. They wouldn't tell me. Frank paid it. But I'll find out it'll very likely be in the evening paper. Joe comes forward to the center table. Joe, picking up the paper from the table. It isn't in this paper. I looked. I'll find out. But there's something else in tonight's paper, Mom. Mrs. Fisher, knitting. What? Joe, indicating a certain point on the paper. Just cast your eyes on this right here. Mrs. Fisher, looking casually. What is it? Joe, reading. Philadelphia Youth makes important chemical discovery. Mr. Joseph Fisher of North Philadelphia perfects rust-preventive solution. He gives his mother a squeeze and a kiss. Mrs. Fisher, startled and giving him a little slap. Stop it, Joe! <laughs> Strikes the palms of his hands together and strides across above the table towards the left. Did they buy the thing from you, Joe? Joe, turning to her, at the left of the center table. One hundred thousand dollars, Mother. They signed for it this afternoon in the lawyer's office. He becomes aware that the shoelace of his right shoe is untied, and puts his foot up on the chair to tie it. Mrs. Fisher, leaning towards him. The Myers and Stevens people? Yeah. They sent for me to come over there this afternoon about two o'clock. So I knocked off and got hold of Farley right away, and we went over there. And they had the contracts all drawn up and everything. What did you say about a hundred thousand dollars, Joe? That's what they paid for it this afternoon, on account. He starts across above the center table and up to the hooks again at the right, removing his coat. Then they're to market it for me from their laboratories and give me half the net. Mrs. Fisher, talking over her right shoulder. What's the net? Joe, hanging his coat up. Whatever's left after all expenses are paid. Mrs. Fisher tries to encompass the situation. I guess they'll see that there ain't much left, won't they? Joe, coming forward again to the center table. Why, there'll be a fortune out of this thing, Mom. Have you any idea what a rust preventive means as an industrial chemical problem? Why, they'll make a million dollars out of this within the next five years. He moves over to the left, removing his tie. Well, how much of that are you going to get, Joe? I'll get the same as they get. That's the contract. A million dollars? Easy. I got a hundred thousand today. Mrs. Fisher shifts her eyes and tries to concentrate. How many knots is a hundred thousand? Joe, coming back to her left, taking a pencil from his vest pocket. It's a one. He leans over the table and writes it on the margin of the newspaper. And two knots, and three more knots. Mrs. Fisher looks at it closely. Joe replaces the pencil in his pocket and moves across again towards the left. They paid that today on account. I knew it was coming, though. Their head chemist out at Bristol told me six weeks ago it was all set. I've got to go over there to their offices right away. They made an appointment for the newspaper and magazine people over there at five o'clock. He starts for the hall door. I've got to talk to them. Did they give you any of the money, Joe? Joe, stopping at the hall door.
A hundred thousand dollars, sure. Not in money, though. Joe laughing and coming back towards the center table. <laughs> Not in dollar bills, no. They gave me a check for it. Where is it? Farley has it in his safe, down in the office. How much do you have to give him? Half of it? No, he's not a partner, he's just my lawyer. I give him 5% of all monies received. He moves forward at the left of the center table. How much will that be? Well, that was $5,000 right off the bat today. Pretty soft for that bird. When I first talked to him, he wanted to stick me for 10%, but I nailed that quick. I knew what this was going to be worth. What are you going to do now, Joe? Stop working? No, of course not. I'm not going to stop working. I've got that oil paint thing on the carpet now. Well, won't you have to go to Washington or someplace? Joe, rolling his tie up on his finger and stuffing it into his vest pocket. No, that's all been attended to. But I'll tell you, Mom, I might go to Trenton. New Jersey? Yes. Not to live, surely. I might, till I put this oil paint thing through. Well, I think you'd be very foolish, Joe, to go to Trenton at your age. Joe, removing his cufflinks and dropping them into his vest pocket. Well, the Myers and Stevens people made me a proposition this afternoon that looks pretty good. They've got one of the most perfectly equipped experimenting laboratories in the world, just outside of Trenton. And it's open day and night, and that's what I want. I'd have had this rust preventive through six months sooner if I could have had the use of a laboratory somewhere at night. So they want me to go up there on a salary, with a first look at anything I strike. But I didn't want to say anything till I talked to you. What do you mean? I mean, I wouldn't like the idea of going away and leaving you alone in the house. Mrs. Fisher, resuming her knitting. Oh, you go ahead, Joe, if it's for your good. Never mind me. I'll get along some way. I don't like the idea of leaving you here alone. Nearly every mother is left alone, Joe, if she lives long enough. Joe looks straight out and thinks. I was wondering, Mom, why Amy couldn't come in here. She seems to be having a pretty tough time of it. There's a slight pause during which Mrs. Fisher knits. She's in here already, and her man with her. I mean, to stay. They're going to stay. She can have that room at the head of the stairs. She stops knitting and thinks, looking steadily at the floor in front of her. They'll have to live somewhere, and I guess it'll have to be here. It's just as our Clara said here one night. I remember it as if it was yesterday. She said, Remember what I'm telling you, Mom. It's you that'll have them on your hands if she takes him. And I suppose that's true. She made her bed, and I guess it's me that'll have to lie in it. Joe, starting up and across towards the hooks at the head of the cellar stairs to get a paper out of his coat pocket. They want me to go to Trenton right away. What would you do, Joe? Come home over Sundays? Sure, it's only 38 miles from here. Mrs. Fisher astonished. 
Is that all the further Trenton is from Philadelphia? Joe, starting across towards the left to the hall door, removing his vest. That's all. It always seemed very far away to me. I guess it's the name. I'm going up to get fixed up a bit before I go over to that office. Mrs. Fisher, suddenly putting her knitting on the table, preparatory to getting up. Well, listen, Joe. Joe, stopping, with his foot on the first step of the stairs. What? Mrs. Fisher, getting up and moving across in front of the center table. Come here. Joe comes down to our left. Don't say anything about this to him, Joe, or he'll be wanting to go up and talk to the newspaper men, too. Joe laughs faintly, then looks away off and thinks. You know, Mom, I kind of feel that there's something coming to that nut out of this thing. How do you mean? He gave me an idea here one night. Mrs. Fisher, seizing him suddenly by both arms. Well, for God's sake, don't tell him that, Joe, or as sure as you live, he'll be telling everybody that he done the whole thing. You remember the night he was saying here about being at work on a solution for the prevention of rust in iron and steel? Yes. Well, you know, I'd been telling him something about it a week or so before. Yes, you told me. While he was waiting for Amy here one night. Yes. Well, he forgot that night he was telling me about it, that it was me that had been telling him about it, and he got it mixed. That's the way he does with everything. And it was the way he got it mixed, Mom, that gave me the idea. He said that it was a combination of chemical elements to be added to the metal in its molten state, instead of applied externally, as they had been doing. And I landed on it the way Howe did when he dreamed of putting the eye on the point of the needle instead of the other end. That was exactly what I'd been doing, applying the solution externally, in a mixture of paint. But the next day I tried adding parts of it to the molten state of the metal, and it did the trick. Of course, he didn't know what he was saying when he said it. He never does. And he didn't know anything about the solution formula. But it was the way he got what I'd been telling him twisted, Mom. That put the thing over. Well, that's no credit to him, Joe. I know. He was only blowing when he said it. Sure. He don't know what a formula means, and I'd have told him where he heard it, too, if I'd been you. Joe, thoughtfully. I'd like to give him a little present of some kind. His mother looks at him sharply. What would you give him a present for? Joe, breaking into a little laugh. <laughs> for making a mistake. That's all everybody's doing around here, giving that fellow presents for making mistakes. That's what Frank Hyland said here today when I asked him why he paid his fine. He said, oh, you've got to give a little present here and there once in a while. There's no use trying to be sensible any more. I'd like to give him something. She looks at him again keenly and thinks for a second. I'll tell you what you can do, Joe, if you're so anxious to give him something. Find out what fine Frank Hyland paid for him this afternoon and tell him you're going to give him that. 
but don't tell him what you're giving it to him for joe or we won't be able to live in the house with him and don't give him money joe for he'd only be going from one room to another here in an automobile and don't give it to her neither joe for she'll only hand it right over to him give it to me joe looks at her and i'll give it to them when i think they need it end of act three part one